0: Good evening, you're listening to The Interchange on KSPC Claremont 88.7 FM. My name is Anne Kirkpatrick. On tonight's show, I speak with KSPC DJ and volunteer coordinator Edie Adams about her experience studying abroad and doing radio in Argentina. Later, the KSPC Poetry Program features the work of poet Jeffrey Grassley. Then, Maddie Williams interviews Corey Taylor on JFK, A President Betrayed, a new film about President John F. Kennedy. Finally, an interview from last semester, Warren Sethchek and Zen Sufi speak with Tamiko Chacon, pastor for the Pomona First Baptist Church and leader of the community group Traffic-Free Pomona. You can contact us during the show or at any time on Facebook or Twitter at username interchange887 or email us with comments, questions, or suggestions at publicaffairs at ksbc.org. is Anne Kirkpatrick for The Interchange, and today I'm speaking with popular KSPC DJ Edie Adams, known as DJ EJ. Edie studied abroad last semester in Buenos Aires, Argentina, where she DJed for an Argentine station, Radio Colmena. So Edie, what was it like living and studying in Argentina?
1: It was really amazing. I also studied abroad, well, all year. So the first semester I was in Madrid, Spain. And I loved living in Madrid, but I have to tell you, I... Definitely enjoyed Buenos Aires a little bit more simply because there's just this really cool feeling about the city. It's hard to describe because you just have to be there to to feel it. But it's kind of a gritty city. It's dirty. There's a lot of trash everywhere, and it's chaotic. Sometimes I would have to wait for an hour to get a bus or, you know, I couldn't get a subway for, you know, two hours. So it's not the most well-run city, But there's just this feeling that things are happening there and I especially love the art scene because it's such a young city that there are tons of teens and sort of young adults who are doing really creative artworks and starting galleries and starting cultural centers and so there's just this energy to the city that I really loved.
0: So, you mentioned a little bit more about the art scene. Can you talk a little bit more about what that's like?
1: Yeah, sure. So, one thing that's really, really cool about Buenos Aires is that they have this thing called cultural centers. And so, basically, every neighborhood has one. And what it is, is it's often an abandoned building, sometimes an abandoned factory. Um, But the one I was in was called Club Cultural Matienzo. And so, it's just this old apartment building in the middle of a neighborhood. And they have tons of art programs there. So they'll have community theater. They have art exhibits. They had, the one at mine had like, like a community radio station. They have classes. So for example, I took a radio class while I was there at this cultural center. And they're often very inexpensive. So it creates this really cool sort of artistic dynamic within a neighborhood and makes it accessible to everyone. So everyone in that neighborhood can come together, come to this place, and participate, get involved, show their artwork. It's just a really cool thing that I don't see that as much here in the United States, and I wish that we had more of that, because it really generates this very artistic great spirit. So Radio Comino was part of this Club cultural, and it was a community radio station? Yeah, so it was only online, but people here in the United States could listen to it too, and it was in this tiny room, much probably about like, one-fifth the size of my bedroom. So it's this tiny, tiny recording studio. Not a lot of high-quality equipment, but it's just people coming together, people who love radio, to do great radio programs, and it was really wonderful. So it's just part of the cultural center. So the other cool thing is that it was on the terrace of the center, so people who were coming there for art exhibits or to do other things at the Cultural Center, could also participate in the radio and get involved and jump on the mic if they wanted to. So it was this very sort of informal atmosphere, but I kind of loved that because it had this very cool sort of like DIY feel to it. So how did you learn about Radio Clemente, and then how did you get involved in it? So I didn't know that radio was a thing when I was in high school, and I kind of just got involved with it in college, just by chance, a friend said, let's go check out their open house at KSBC. So I said, okay, well, I'm, I'm homesick. I'm looking for community, so, okay, that sounds cool. I like music. And I just totally fell in love with radio. It was like finding my place. I sometimes like to think of radio stations sort of as, like, islands of misfit toys, this place where people who didn't always fit in in high school come together and can just be themselves. So for me, it was this really sort of revelatory experience working at a radio station and feeling like finally I had this place where I could be weird and goofy and be myself. So when I went abroad, I wanted to look for that kind of community too because it was the same thing of being pulled out of my comfort zone and wanting to find sort of a family away from home. So when I was in Buenos Aires, I... Just started looking online, quite frankly, for cool radio stations. This one came up. It looked interesting. I really knew nothing about it. Hadn't visited, but it got good reviews. And so I just contacted the person who worked there and said, Hey, I have radio experience, and I love doing radio. Any chance I can help out and get involved? So I met with her. She liked me. I liked her. And then I had a radio show, which is kind of this crazy thing, but it did happen. So just kind of is this instance of me just going, saying, hey, do you have a spot open? Can I help? And they were like, yeah, sure. <laughs> so then I did.
0: So Radio Locoment is a community radio station. Here at KSBC, we're more of, I guess we label ourselves as college radio station. So what were some of the differences you experienced um, on that level, and also even just doing radio in an entirely different country?
1: Sure. Um. So one of the main things to address the first point of community versus college, so... Most of the people who worked at Radio Colmena were young people, but, for example, I was helping out on shows with people who are in their mid-30s, people who, you know, already have jobs, who are just doing radio because they love it, and that's sort of a similar circumstance here at KSPC, but we're all going to the same school, so we're all sort of bonded by this core thing of these are the universities that we attend, but... There, this is people who, coming from different neighborhoods, some people who take two hours to travel just to this community center so they can participate in this radio. So you get a lot of people with very different experiences, different backgrounds, but coming together to do what they love. So I think that would be a key distinction for community versus college. And then as far as doing radio in another country, here in the U.S. and working at KSPC, I'm really used to, like, FCC guidelines. So, for example, not being able to swear when you're on the air. In Argentina, anything goes, especially because this is on the internet. People were dropping swear words pretty much every other word. And I remember my first time on air, I thought, what are they doing? They're going to get in trouble. This can't this can't be the case. But in, there's not really much regulation in the country, so people can swear on the air and it's no big deal. So that was shocking to me. But it's also just much more free form. I mean, here at KSPC, I think that we have tons of freedom to do creative things on the air, but there it was just like people could literally just go and do whatever they wanted. And it was much more relaxed, which was an interesting change. But I really, I really loved doing a different sort of style of radio because it makes you see that radio isn't just this one format. It can take a lot of different forms, and I really appreciated that. I'd like to hear a little bit more about your your show specifically. It's called Tasty Burger, yeah? Yeah. So Tasty Burger is a reference to Pulp Fiction. And there's a scene in which they're talking about, Samuel L. Jackson's talking about a tasty burger that he is eating. And I came up with that name for my show because it sort of, to me, represented America. Burgers are kind of this idea of, you know, America, I guess, to me. And I just like doing that kind of reference to a movie that's really popular, but also a movie that people in Argentina know so they could get the reference connected to the United States. But I also just kind of wanted something sort of irreverent and referential, but didn't quite make sense, but sort of referred back to the U.S. I don't know, I like the way it sounded, so I just rolled with it. Um, And so my show was structured basically where every week I did a set list that was based off of bands from a specific city in the U.S., So I would focus on, like, Seattle or Minnesota, things like that. So that was really fun because I kind of learned a lot through the process of doing it as well. So it was a learning experience for me as well as for others. And it was a really great experience as well because at that time I was really missing home. And so through the radio show, I feel like I kind of was able to connect back to the U.S. by sharing something that's really important to me, music from my own country with people in Argentina it allowed me to sort of bond with others through the music that I was presenting. And to me, that was a really neat experience. Yeah, so
0: for you, it was almost kind of a way to combat culture shock?
1: Yeah, combat culture shock and also just connect with others. Because when you're in another country, even if you're fluent in the language like I am, there's still so much that you just can't express it's hard to express humor, it's hard to express deep thoughts, even when you have a command over the language. And so it was really neat for me to get to use music almost as a way to express myself and communicate who I am, communicate a bit about my culture. And so that's sort of how I ended up using the show to relate to the people I was working with, relate to people in Argentina, and simultaneously sort of connect with my own culture. But connect with the people that I was meeting there as well so it kind of worked both ways and I it was a really positive experience. So your show was it entirely in Spanish? It was well (laughs) I'll put Spanish in quotes because I made so many mistakes but hopefully it was endearing (laughs) to hear someone like trying to speak Spanish but maybe not doing it that well.
0: Did you find yourself like improving week by week and getting like better a better handle of the Spanish?
1: Oh yeah the thing is is When you're speaking on the radio, there's no turning back. Whatever you say, it it goes out there. And so you don't have the benefit of thinking about what you're going to say even really because you just kind of have to spit it out. So at first, I made so many mistakes because I was just trying to fill that silence. But the fact of just having to speak and be confident in what you're saying ultimately was really helpful because I just had to say, okay, I'm just going to say my ideas and it's going to come out how it does and I may make mistakes but I'm going to keep trying and by the end of it I definitely reached a much higher level of fluency in Spanish and I learned a lot of words related to music and sort of how to express those ideas so that was really positive too. So how was your
0: show received like at the radio station and did you get a lot of feedback from listeners?
1: Yeah, a lot of people started adding me on Facebook saying that they had listened and that was super cool because when you study abroad or even live abroad, it's really hard to connect with other people in that culture. It's hard to first know how to meet people besides at bars, for example, or things like that common outlets. But it's also just really hard to like I said earlier, express yourself. Um and so yeah, so I definitely think that I got a lot of positive feedback. People had with me on Facebook, wanted to tell me that they liked the show. And people at the radio station were really excited about it because they know a lot of popular music from the United States that plays a lot at their clubs. But they don't necessarily know about the independent music scene as much. So it was cool for me to sort of show that side of my music culture with them.
0: So through getting fans basically on Facebook and connecting with people, did you end up making any lasting friendships?
1: Absolutely. Um, I have a friend named Julio who I met. He has a show on the air at Radio Comena, and he taught me all about Argentine music. Uh, So we kind of – I taught him about American independent music. He taught me about Argentine independent music. So now we're friends. We keep in touch via letter. And it was really cool to sort of find this common ground that allowed us to bond. And I really loved that. I'm also friends with all the other people who had shows at the radio station. They actually started inviting me to be a guest. So I would come in and just speak with them, comment about music. And it's cool because a lot of them are older than I am. Like I said, because they're from the community. So it was just really exciting because they all really kind of took me under their wing a little bit. And I was very flattered by that because they went out of their way to make me feel comfortable, and I feel like radio was really that common bond that brought us together. And one thing I found, because I also did radio in Madrid, is that people who do radio, no matter where you find them in the world, are great people, and I don't know why that is. Maybe it goes back to that Island of Misfit Toys thing that I talked about earlier, but it's very much this thing of just good, nice people who are a little weird, but who love doing this and that brings you together. And so that allowed me to create some really lasting friendships that I'm very grateful for.
0: So you mentioned you knew a lot of the other people who had shows on Radio Colmena. Um, how many people were there? Was this a 24-7 radio station or was it only part of the day? Only part
1: of the day. So since they're not actually on like, for example, an FM dial or the equivalent of that in Argentina, they could have silence or dead air and just not be on the air all the time. So they were on the air starting at about 5 p.m., I think, and then would go till about 2 a.m. every night. So it was more of an afternoon nighttime sort of thing. The thing is, is that they only have one technician working, so the people who are on the air or their on-air personalities aren't doing their own mixing for the sets. They actually have a hired technician who has his own day job, but then comes in at night every night and mixes all these sets for people. So it's kind of impressive that they just have one guy basically running the entire technical side of the show. So, yeah. And did you make pretty good friends with this one guy if you were interacting with him a lot? Yeah, his name is Hanul, and he's kind of this cult figure at the radio station. Everyone really loves him, and they had a day for Hanul just to celebrate him, and... Yeah, he's, he's a big figure at the radio station. But it goes back, again, to an interesting thing, which is basically all the people who are running this station are students. They study radio. They're older than we are. But they're like us, you know, students who do other things but have a passion for radio, and so they're basically on their own running this radio station. And to me, that's a really empowering concept of students, you know, taking creative control of this really interesting media format that a lot of people say is dying, and it's not.
0: <laughs> no way. It's not. No, no way. <laughs> it's evolving, but it's not
1: dying. <laughs> exactly. And to see that sort of new generation coming in all over the world, here and in Argentina and in Spain, and saying, listen, this is a format that's viable. This is a format that can be reinterpreted, reinterpreted creatively, to me, that's a really empowering thing. And so it's cool also to just see young people who don't have a lot of experience but are willing to learn, just taking it into their own hands and making it their own is a really, really awesome thing to see and to participate in.
0: All right, so you mentioned um, a lot of these students working at the radio station were learning radio and you mentioned radio classes. Um, unfortunately, we don't have a radio-specific class here at the Claremont Colleges, but can you tell me about that experience?
1: Yeah, it was great. I was definitely teased in the class lovingly, but I often didn't know what was going on most of the time because it was all in Spanish. And in Argentina, they're notorious for speaking lots of slang. So with all these young people speaking in slang, I was pretty lost most of the time. But they teased me with my pronunciation, which propelled me to trying to improve my ability to speak Spanish. But it was really fun. We met for an afternoon once a week, And we would start just kind of informally recording shows. We would have different tongue twister challenges in Spanish, which was difficult. We'd practice doing different voice inflections, doing accents. And then the one interesting thing about doing radio abroad, both in Spain and in Argentina, is that not only do they have a separate technician who mixes the shows, so when you're on air, you're more of just a radio personality versus controlling the whole show yourself, but they also tend to be more sort of, I'd, I'd call it like a cultural roundtable sort of format. So everyone has a section that they prepare and present on, and then collaboratively you all present and then discuss together. So that's kind of the common format that they use abroad that we don't necessarily have here at KSPC. So, for example, in Madrid, I was an art correspondent, so I'd present on art, and then everyone else at the table would sort of comment and talk about it, and so we practiced that format a lot in Argentina as well. So it was cool to learn this new format that we don't necessarily use here.
0: What are some of your favorite anecdotes and memories from Radio Clemente?
1: Hmm. I think the favorite memory that I have is it was my first time guesting on a show, And I was trying to tell this story um, where, in the story, I was talking about walking on grass or something like that. And when I was trying to say grass, in the moment, I just went, my mind went blank and I couldn't think of the word. And so finally, the word that I ended up using after a pretty long silence, at least in radio, was an Argentine slang term for marijuana. And so I said that I was walking in a field of marijuana and everyone, their <laughs> faces just went white. And, and I was like, uh, "What? Are, why is everyone freaking out? I, uh, what? And then I learned <laughs> that I had said marijuana instead of grass. So those sort of things happen, especially when you're in a radio format because... You're trying to think of the word, and sometimes it just doesn't come to you. I also was trying to do, in my radio class, a presenter's voice like they do in Argentina and Spain. Because when you speak in Spanish, if you listen to Spanish radio, they have a very distinct voice style that's very different from news reporters, for example, on NPR. And so I was trying to practice that, and everyone in my class just started laughing at me. And I said, why are you laughing? And they said, you sound like a baby monster. And here I was thinking that I was doing this great impression of, like, a Spanish news reporter. And, alas, I sound like a baby monster. But <laughs> it's those moments where you kind of just have to be like, okay, I'm messing up. But you know what? I'm doing my best. And hopefully, you know, it's endearing.
0: So <laughs> so the Spanish news announcer, like, unfortunately, when I was abroad in Spain, I didn't watch a lot of news because... I don't know. I just wasn't into it, but um, maybe a lot of things that listeners might be familiar with is the Spanish newscasters for for soccer games, where they go like "goal." <laughs> so, is it similar to that, or can you describe what a Spanish newscaster sounds like?
1: Sure. So, for example, my infantile voice would not fit in in a Spanish news account. A broadcasting sort of format so a good example would be like, hola bienvenidos a radio colmena so they kind of roll their r's a lot like radio colmena and they sort of extend certain vowels and their voice gets a super octave slower and it's very about that kind of like sultry deep radio voice and so for those of you listening you can hear that i don't necessarily have that radio voice, so it was difficult trying to adapt, but that's definitely sort of the standard. And I feel like maybe we have that a little bit, but not in the same way. Because it's, it's, there's a certain theatricality to it, and there's a certain theatricality to the way that our newscasters sort of speak, but it's very different. It's hard to explain, but yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, I've noticed the way newscasters speak like on radio is very different from the way newscasters will speak on television. It's very different from the way... You know, I don't know. Absolutely, it's, it's really interesting to hear the the inflections, and it varies definitely country by country, like you said. Right. Um, I really thought that your your impression of a of a Spanish speaking language newscaster was really great, and we should do a station ID. <laughs> well, Hola, bienvenidos a que este PC. Es
1: Clermont.
0: Clermont.
1: <laughs> you have to roll your R's. Clermont. <laughs> <laughs> you got it. <laughs>
0: yeah, and we might have to repeat it because I don't know if you if. KSPC is something that the FCC would, would accept. <laughs> we'll, we'll find out.
1: We'll investigate.
0: So what is your advice for future study abroad students looking to really make the most of their experience?
1: I would say don't be afraid to put yourself out there. Um, I think a lot of the time when I was abroad, I was thinking about home. I was thinking about what I was missing here in Claremont instead of really taking advantage of the time that I had while I was abroad. And I think when you're away and you have access to things like Facebook, you can see what your friends are doing and it's easy to think, oh man, I am missing out on things. I'm not participating in events back at KSPC, for example. But the way you have to flip it is think, well, they're also missing out on the experiences that I'm having here. And how lucky am I that I get to go abroad and live in a different place for four months completely on my own. And have that moment kind of to figure out who you are, as cheesy as it sounds. Because when you're forced to be alone and thrown into this totally crazy situation, it kind of allows you that that sort of space to grow and really figure out your own identity. Figure out who you are when you don't have that support system around and kind of how you navigate that situation will teach you a lot about yourself. And so I would say don't be afraid of that. But also go into being abroad with a very sort of realistic perspective, because I think sometimes, unintentionally of course, it can there can be this idea that your time abroad is the best time of your life, and that it's going to be the most wonderful four months you'll ever have. And in retrospect, I do think of it that way, but there were certainly times where I was really sad, where I missed home, where I didn't want to be there, I wanted to be in Claremont, and I think because I had gone into it with that perspective, I was really embarrassed that I was feeling homesick and that I was struggling but the thing is is that everyone struggles and so don't be embarrassed if you're struggling or having a hard time because it's normal and I think just accepting that and saying yeah I'm having a bad day today but I'm gonna get over it tomorrow will be better and I'm gonna be fine and I'm just gonna go to a cool market or I'm going to eat some really great Argentine chocolate and everything will be okay So I think going into it with a realistic perspective is important, but also trying to get involved in something that you love is a great way to sort of get comfortable in a new situation. Doing radio in Madrid and then in Buenos Aires was easily the best part of my experience because it allowed me to meet people not only in the host country, make friends who could allow me to practice my Spanish, show me the culture. But also it was important to me to meet people who had similar interests to what I liked because that makes that connection a lot easier. So, for example, at both of these radio stations, basically what I did is just ask. I just said, I like radio. I don't know if you have a space for me. I don't know if I can do anything, but I want to get involved. And in both places, they were just like, yeah, okay, cool. Yeah, we'll have you on board. So don't be afraid to ask. Don't be afraid to put yourself out there. Because ultimately, it can have a lot of great benefits.
0: Well, thanks so much for the insight, Edie.
1: Absolutely. Thank you, Anne.
0: This was such a pleasure. All right, this has been Anne Kirkpatrick speaking with Edie Adams, a.k.a. DJ EJ, about her experience studying abroad and doing radio in Argentina.
2: Papá, mi mamá y yo vamos a ir a la clínica. Gracias por cuidar a los niños.
0: No hay problema. Ya sabes que me encanta estar con mis nietos.
2: Entonces ya nos vamos.
0: Me da gusto que estén haciendo esto juntas. Nos vemos al rato.
2: Hija. No entiendo por qué tengo que hacerme la prueba del
3: papá Nicolao. Si me siento bien...
2: Porque el papá puede encontrar cambios tempranos antes de que te enfermes. Si esos cambios se detectan a tiempo, es casi 100% seguro que el cáncer del cuello de la matriz se pueda prevenir.
3: Pero yo ya estoy vieja y no veo la razón para hacerme ese examen.
2: Ay, mamá. Todas las mujeres jóvenes y mayores necesitamos hacernos la prueba del papá Nicolau. Mi doctora me dijo que las mujeres que ya pasan de los 40 Son las que tienen más riesgo de desarrollar cáncer del cuello de la matriz Y las mujeres latinas, especialmente las recién llegadas a los Estados Unidos Están todavía más en riesgo Porque no se hacen los exámenes por pena o por falta de información Está bien, vamos a hacernos
3: el examen ya Cuando una mujer cuida su salud y se hace regularmente la prueba del Papá Nicolau, toda la familia se beneficia. Para encontrar una clínica de bajo costo o sin costo cerca de usted, llame al 1-800-ACS-2345. Los servicios son para todas las mujeres que viven en California, sin importar su condición legal. This is Ashley Land with the KSPC Poetry Program, and I'm here with Jeffrey Grassley. He's from Baldwin Park. How are you today?
4: I'm doing well. How are you, Ashley?
3: I'm good. Would you like to read some poems for us today?
4: Yeah, I was going to read three poems from my forthcoming chapbook, Cabaret of Remembrance, that's due out December 6th, I believe. And this first poem is No Different.
3: All right, cool. Let's get started.
4: No Different. Outside another Sunday, stretches into nothing, and the neighbors are barbecuing pork, throwing beers back. I'm empty, tapped out of that sweet nectar, hummingbirds spin-shaking, fingertips I don't want, but I do need. And right now, that doesn't feel any different than a lover leaving the car battery, dying a whale beached on dirty sand the California coasts. No, it doesn't feel any different than a door slamming a house awake, bottle rockets, Screaming into a muted sky or gunshots, ripping aspirations to bloody tatters. Sundays are the days when rocks sit heavy on my chest, and no amount of beer can replace the sound of her footsteps coming back to bed, and no amount helps to forget. Okay, and the next one's called Connection. Like child-rearing, love doesn't come with an instruction guide. No, there isn't some color-coded system RCA wiring. A man's plug fits any, however that moment. When eyes touch past the fingers grip those scorched hot oven seconds. The green light says go, everything's on. And please don't ever gamble with a poor man. They haven't anything to lose. Pounce like the lioness feeding her cubs these connections. Our fleeting radio waves smile in that radiation, convinced of superpowers and good poetry. Let the end come, like the tide on the empty beach, like a specific bench in the park, the one that everyone goes to cry. And this last one's called Scene. Bone dancers drink excavated memories, mixing beer bottles with salt water, remembering the cold body found under dry covers where knees bent forever wounded i've seen rejects prosper taking home the pretty girl at the bar and i've seen them fail crushed under stark rejections pinpoint editing and this guy told me to stop writing like Bukowski, find your voice make it dance and too often we multiply ourselves by our tragedies a negative coefficient such misgivings seen in the wrinkled red skin of bone dancers, drinking fire water, calling that burning spell. Memory, cabaret of remembrance, bones rattle, a hot Santa Ana breeze. I've seen the bone dancers drink.
3: Wow, that was really good. Um, can you tell us a little bit about yourself?
4: Uh, well, like you said, I'm from Baldwin Park, California. Um, I've been writing poetry for like three years going on four years. I read a lot of love poems, as you can tell, and <laughs> those are kind of my staple.
3: Well, I noticed there's a lot of, like, imagery in your poem. I remember one where you, like, mentioned a well on a beach. Like, how do you go about writing? Is there certain things that influence you?
4: I'm really into the sound the words make, uh, and the imagery kind of comes second, and if I can use the juxtaposition of, like, the lyric to push the narrative into into that deep imagery, then I'm just like, I'm winning is how I see it.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: You told me that you were here last year. How has your poetry progressed since you were last here?
4: Um, I've had some more success. I have the, like I mentioned before, the chapbook coming out from Sweatshop Publications in December, December 6th, actually. And that's been fun I mean, going through the process of small presses and having fun with it.
3: So, what exactly happened? Did they, like, come to you, like, reach out to you? Or, like, how is the process of getting published, basically?
4: Uh, It's like cold calling. You really don't know these people. You just, you go to their website, you look at their submission guidelines, and you either mail them or email them your work. And it's really just shooting in the dark, because you don't know these people, and they don't know you. But you find that, you know, the the common ground is your work, if they like it or not.
3: Mm, So... Is it like a book full of poems from you, or like what type of publication is it?
4: It's an imprint print uh, chapbook, which is essentially a small collection of poems, um, all of them being mine.
3: Okay, cool. Why did you start writing poetry? Like, is it like an outlet for you to get your feelings out? What makes you write poetry?
4: That's a hard question to answer, just because um, I think people that do write poetry just know that they have to do it. And it's just, like you said, I guess it's an outlet, but... If I could do anything else, I'd be doing that.
3: <laughs> okay. Um. Do you have any tips for aspiring poets?
4: Read. Read poetry every day and write every day.
3: What's your favorite
4: poem? Oh. Um, what is my favorite poem? Howl is Pretty Awesome by Ginsberg. I like that one. I, anything by Bukowski.
3: Mm-hmm. When you read a poem, like, what... Are the first things that stand out to you
4: uh you have to really catch a catch a reader right in the first line. There has to be something that they can hold on to, like I'm looking for something that grounds me to what you're talking about, not these abstract ideas, like I need to know we're in a bar i need to I need to know we're being left or like something needs to be happening right in the first lines to to really hold me
3: so when you write your poems, do you try to make them as relatable as possible, like no abstract ideas?
4: Yeah, absolutely. And that, that is the key to to growing as a writer. You you need to realize when you're not hitting your subject matter correctly. When you're when you're too abstract, when you're too airy is another word we use for it. And uh being able to tell and you know, edit it out and not write that way is is really how you grow, like I said as a writer.
3: Have you done any performances where you like say poetry out loud or like do you just like when people get to read your poetry?
4: Oh, I do open mics um from Riverside to Long Beach and uh, I'm actually part of a nonprofit organization called the San Gabriel Valley Lit Fest where we do a festival of of writers every every year in I think we're in Pomona this year. And uh yeah, if you if anyone's interested in that, there's the website com.
3: Well, Jeffrey, your poetry was so amazing today. Is there any way you can do an encore for us?
4: Yeah, I could do that. I have another one from the same collection more more plugging <laughs> this one's called in the warble echo of the wash behind my patio i recount name scars look into mornings awake new eyes feather bed kissers but i won't let her sleep in mine and the wash streams a neighborhood of waste paper plain letters five cents too steep for bottles come this river conversations convince this facade of romance is dressed up fear she needs to know the silence that spins a ceiling fan Watch seconds slip empty, but she's not loud enough for the dirty water. Vortex of brown eyes wrestling with ghosts, make-believe images, those dead memories, slipped words. A betrayed tongue and no girl ever wants to be called by an ex's name. And here scars shift upon my skin, fleeting clouds, drunken brush strokes, a blue canvas, almost images, and sleep comes. Holding letters and pulling on my beard the way she always did.
3: Wow, another amazing poem. Um, so you mentioned that you write a lot of love poems. Are these personal experiences, or like, are they just relatable for everyone?
4: Uh, they're personal experiences, but I try to to say them in a relatable way. I guess is how I how I could put that. Um, but yeah, this is this is really like nonfiction with line breaks.
3: <laughs> and like, what does writing poetry mean to you? Like, what does it mean to you when someone reads your poem and they're like, "Wow, this is like really good."
4: Uh, it's like an experience. It's a feeling that it's so hard to describe as an artist because, you know, you're doing it for yourself, but you so much want to be accepted, and and, and it just feels great to, to to reach out and and to share an experience.
3: What is your most memorable experience, either like publishing your poetry or just having feedback from your poetry?
4: Oh, it's hard to really. Name one thing. I mean, the first publication I got was huge, and that was a that was a feeling I thought would never um, never be topped. But when I got the chapbook uh, acceptance letter, that kind of pushed me forward and in, into new uh, new horizons of potential. So, I guess I guess getting the chapbook published was was it.
3: What do you hope to do with your poetry in the future?
4: Well, there really isn't any money in poetry, so. To follow my aspirations and become a professor of English, that, that would be like the real goal. But in terms of poetry, if I can just continue sharing and expressing myself, then money at that point doesn't really matter.
3: Thanks so much, Jeffrey, for coming in today. We really hope to see you in the future.
4: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me.
3: You were just listening to Jeffrey Grassley from Baldwin Park. KSPC Poetry Program airs every other Sunday at 6 p.m. on The Interchange. We hope you'll listen in two weeks for our next future poet. Thank you.
5: Do you like live music?
6: Yes! yes! Oh, yes! yes! Oh, wow.
5: Do you have endless amounts of money to buy tickets for concerts?
6: No! <laughs> no!
5: Well, there's a way for you to hear your favorite artists without spending even a penny.
7: What? How is that even possible?
5: KSPC frequently broadcasts live in studios with artists that you already love and artists that you will love after listening to their live performance. With KSPC, it's easy to hear uncut live music by KSPC artists while keeping your wallet
7: smiling.
3: Gee, thanks everyone for thinking of me.
7: Of course, wallet. You're my number two. After great live music.
3: I understand.
7: Listen to live music on KSPC today.
8: November 22nd marked the 50th anniversary of the assassination of John F. Kennedy. Corey Taylor, director of the new movie JFK, A President Betrayed, talked to me about the genesis of the new film. Basically, my partner, uh, Darren Ellis and
6: I, several years ago, uh, we were looking for our next project,
8: said Kennedy as a president was particularly committed to peace.
6: Kennedy wasn't just interested in the welfare of the American people. Kennedy was interested in the welfare of people all over the world. And from our research, uh, we got the sense that Kennedy was willing and, and uh, to do anything to use diplomacy, to use um, conflict, that he would do anything he could to avoid uh, armed conflict, and in particular thermonuclear war. I think what Kennedy offered in terms of his moral courage and his character, particularly when it comes to foreign policy, but also civil rights, was against the stream of the status quo, it was considered at the time really Cold War heresy to be attempting to dialogue with America's sworn enemies. So Kennedy, for instance, was trying to set up a dialogue with Fidel Castro. He used back channels to uh, repeatedly correspond with uh, Sergei Khrushchev. And Kennedy was also pursuing a diplomatic, in South Vietnam was trying to open up channels there and was actually subverted by members of the State
8: Department. Taylor says the themes of nuclear proliferation and Cold War deliberation are still relevant to college students today. According to Taylor, Kennedy had a strict moral compass. Film is JFK, a president betrayed. That was Corey Taylor, the director. The film is available to watch on Amazon Instant Video. For KSPC eighty-eight point seven, I'm Madison.
3: Sassy, sassy.
6: This week's episode: Danger at the Old Well.
3: Last one to the old well's a rotten
1: egg. Ha uh-huh, ha! I win. Whoa! Ah! Sassy, Johnny fell down the well. I'm wet! What, Sassy? You know where Mr. Gunderson keeps his rope? Go get it, girl!
3: What? You'd rather use this time to set people straight about shelter pet adoption? I'm cold! People shouldn't be afraid to adopt from a shelter? Because shelter pets are screened for sound health and temperament?
8: I'm wet and
3: cold! Sassy, what about Johnny? What? let johnny sit in the well until he learns to be more
1: self-reliant sassy what'd he say
6: sassy is brought to you by the ad council and the shelterpetproject.org remember adopt
7: hey this is zan sufi and i'm warren sefchek and we are here with tomiko chacon who is the pastor of social justice for the pomona first baptist church and is leading the community group called traffic free pomona thanks for being here with us Thank you. So we kind of just want to talk to you about, first of all, your organization, what it does, uh, the community group, I mean, Traffic Free. Mm
9: -hmm. Yeah, Traffic Free Pomona is committed to ending human trafficking, both in our local community and around the world. Um, And we do that in three ways. We want to first raise awareness about human trafficking. And that's the first step in ending it, is to make sure that everybody knows that it exists. Um, and then second, we want to prevent trafficking from taking place in our local community. Um, and we reach out to those that are vulnerable, particularly young girls within the Pomona, city of Pomona and in the Inland Valley. And then we also want to provide resources to survivors of human trafficking. We have quite a few survivors right in our area. Um, and so we provide them with clothing um, and other items that they would need once they've been rescued.
5: Let's talk a little bit about, uh, I guess, raising awareness because that is your number one mm-hmm. goal. Um, you know, how, how, what is the extent of the problem you know, in LA, in the United States, globally? Can you talk a little bit about that?
9: Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, globally, there are approximately 27 million people that are enslaved today, which is an astounding figure because it's more than the total number of people that were trafficked during the transatlantic slave trade, which was four centuries. Um, and so that includes both labor trafficking and sex trafficking. Um, And then California and LA are some of the number one, number one states and number one cities in the United States um, for victims of human trafficking. And what we see here in Los Angeles and in the surrounding area are a lot of victims of both labor and sex trafficking. Um, Labor trafficking includes everything from agricultural labor, restaurant work, uh, women working in nail salons. Um, And then, of course, sex trafficking would include any sort of adult entertainment. Um, And we see a lot of minors. So these are particularly young girls as young as 11 years old that are trafficked into the sex industry in our area.
7: So where does it begin? Where do these where do these girls come from? Who's in Who's involved in this? Who runs these things? Is yeah. it different groups? Is it certain certain companies? Types of or individuals? Even mm-hmm. how does this work?
9: Yeah, well we see everything from street gangs that are involved in human trafficking to just um, traffickers or pimps that work just on their own, um, to organize crime. So it's on so many different levels. Um, But what happens is that traffickers prey upon people that are vulnerable. They could be vulnerable because of poverty, uh, vulnerable because of their gender. Girls are more vulnerable than boys, Mm -hmm. women more than men. Um, Their age, those that are young, are very vulnerable. And so uh, locally, with the domestic sex trade, we see traffickers preying upon Young girls that um, come from abusive families that don't have a strong support at home, particularly runaways, Um, they say a runaway is is approached by a trafficker or a pimp within 48 hours of running away. They're already trying to lure them into the life.
5: So is it, it, you say lure them, um, you know, I'm wondering is it, are, are a lot of them just automatically forced do they somehow just get wrapped up in the wrong things and then then they're stuck how does that work
9: yeah that's a great question um sometimes they're physically forced um into the life a lot of times it's a grooming process you know we use that term when we talk about a sexual predator and that's often what happens with domestic sex trafficking is girls are groomed they're um they're a man or a trafficker, sometimes it can be a Cambay woman, will pretend to be their friend or their boyfriend. And over time, after giving them gifts and um, you know paying them compliments, spending money on them, um, then they know their, their uh, points of vulnerability and they'll prey upon those points. And over time, they will begin to force them to work, um, uh, sell their bodies for sex, and then support the trafficker.
7: So do most of these victims know, know these people that are preying upon them? Or like are involved sometimes. in community as them?
9: Sometimes. Wow. Yeah, sometimes okay. they do. Um, sometimes traffickers will use other girls that are already working for them. Um, they call it their stable, to be honest. And so it's another girl working for them. They will use them to trick or lure other girls into the life.
7: So what is the, what is the government doing about this or what are the police or whoever is supposed to be doing something about this doing about
9: it? Yeah. Well, you know, sometimes we're a little bit behind the criminals. (laughs) Um, but I will say that our law enforcement and our government, we are making great strides to end trafficking, particularly sexual exploitation of, of children in our, in our, um, area. Um, there's a federal task force that is working with local law enforcement to end this. And it's a great collaborative effort with uh, uh, community-based organizations and uh, groups and faith-based organizations like ourselves um, where we can play a part in that.
7: And organizations and communities that throw or make movies or documentaries like Not My Life, right, which is... Yeah. Or is is traffic free Pomona sponsoring that sponsoring the event? Okay, could you tell us more about that?
9: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, We're uh, screening a documentary film. It's called Not My Life at the Lemley Theater in Claremont this Tuesday, April 9th at 7 p.m. So I'd love to encourage your listeners to come out and join us. It's free. So you don't have to pay any money. It's just uh, seating is first come, first serve. So it starts at seven. So get there early. We'll open the doors at six 30 and um, we, we'll get you a seat. Um, but this is a great film. It shows human trafficking taking place both domestically here in the United States and all around the world. Um, so you see it in various forms. You see how what happens those that are most vulnerable and then you'll also meet folks from different organizations that are working to end it so there's definitely a message of hope um within the film
5: okay so i noticed that uh one of your sponsors for uh for the screening is fair trade claremont can you talk about how they're involved with this i guess because that seems like maybe not the, the matchup that you would expect. <laughs>
9: yeah, absolutely. Well Fair Trade Claremont is working to raise awareness about purchasing fair trade um here in the city of Claremont. And we've partnered with them on other events because there's a lot of uh, child labor and slave labor used in certain industries around the world, particularly chocolate. Um, and by buying Fair Trade chocolate, you're actually ensuring that there was no child or slave labor in that product. Um, Um, And so there's a lot of overlap between what we're doing to raise awareness about human trafficking and prevent trafficking and what they're doing to raise awareness about fair trade and encourage the Claremont community to purchase fair trade. So they're very excited to come and partner with us on this event.
5: It's interesting because, you know, I've always heard that term fair trade. and I guess I, I just... Never would have imagined I would have to do something like this. But I guess that's just one of you know, one more way that we can get involved just as regular people, right?
9: Absolutely. Absolutely. When you buy for a trade, you're in a, you're ensuring that the person who made that product got a fair wage, but you also know that they didn't use a child or a slave to make that product.
7: That's great. And you said they were gonna they're gonna speak at the screening too before before the screening of mm-hmm. it at Lamo?
9: Yeah, they're okay. gonna be there and they're gonna share a little bit about the connection between um, fighting human trafficking and purchasing for a trade.
5: Does it I was just gonna say, um no, I was interested in maybe going back to kind of what do you think are I guess like the root causes of mm-hmm. of this being able to happen in the United States because I almost get this sense that people kind of know about human trafficking and they assume it's well you know that only happens in you know these third world countries and they don't really think about the fact that there are so many victims of it here and um, obviously awareness is important but I mean is it poverty is it income inequality what is it that's really driving this and allowing it to still keep going even in you know 21st century America
9: mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I think a term that we use a lot is that it's beneath the surface. So it's happening in our society, but it's not right in front of us. And so we don't know that it exists. And because we don't see it every day, um, it's easy just to think that it's not happening. And so um, we, that's why it's so important to raise Awareness is to bring it to people's attention, to bring it above the surface. Um, But you asked about what are some of the root causes and they are they are causes of poverty. Um, We mostly see those that are trafficked domestically, um, people that come from impoverished situations or they are vulnerable in other ways. They don't have a stable home life. Um, they don't have um, you know access to um, education possibly. They don't have um, just that strong family support. Um, and then we have you know a, a broken system when it comes to caring for children in our country that that don't have a family. Mm-hmm. So our foster care system and um, you know, caring for, sort of orphans, those that don't have a family um, or who've been removed from their family, is um, really needs some attention, I think, in our country.
5: So that's obviously, you know, an issue that is pretty difficult to tackle when you start <laughs> talking about broken systems. Um, so I guess my next question would be, what can we do, you know, as college students here at, at the 5Cs or as just any of the listeners out there, you know, how do we make a positive difference in this cause?
9: Absolutely. Well, we have really identified that in particular adolescents, so teenagers, girls um, who are bet- between the ages of 11 and 18 are particularly vulnerable. So as a group, Traffic Free Pomona, we have partnered with a local gr- girls home uh, for girls. So these are girls that have been removed from their families. And we volunteer at that particular home twice a month. Um, we do everything from baked cookies and cupcakes with them and to just spending time with them. So I would say, I know this is a common phrase to say to college students, but I would say mentor a young person. Mm-hmm. You know, tutor them, uh, volunteer at a after-school program, at a Boys and Girls Club, a YMCA. Spending time with a, an adolescent teen, Um, Building a relationship with them, letting them know that someone loves them and cares about them, I believe is the first step in prevention. Another thing that we do as a community group is, I mentioned we provide resources for survivors, and we call them freedom bags. Mm-hmm. Um, when someone escapes slavery, they escape with the clothes on their back. They don't have time to grab anything, and they right. probably don't own anything anyways. Um, and so we put together a backpack full of brand-new clothes and toiletries, everything you need if you escaped in a, a situation like this. So that's another way that students from the Claremont Colleges could get involved is maybe putting together one of these bags Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and you can find out more about what goes in the bag and how to put one together at our website, which is trafficfreepomona.org. Okay.
5: Perfect. Um, I wanted to go back to the movie really quickly and ask you, I guess, how did did you guys have a hand in making it or is it just a movie that's about human trafficking and it's out there that you want to show and you think it has a good message or... Um.
9: Yeah, exactly. The second point. Um, It's a great film. I think I've seen, because I've been involved in this for the past seven years, I've seen a lot of films on human trafficking, a lot of documentaries, and I think this is a great film because it provides both a global and a local perspective. Um, And then we built a relationship with the filmmakers, and um, they wanted us to do this screening. They provided us... um, some DVDs that we're going to have there at the screening um, for sale for only $5 because they just want as many people to see it as possible because we want people to take them home too. Um, so we just really feel it's a great, uh, especially introductory film um, for someone who hasn't um, learned anything about the issue.
7: That's important. It's it's important for it to be introductory. Mm-hmm. Once, yeah. If it gets too deep into the issue, well, it can't cater to as great of an audience, right? Yeah. It's, it's, amazing. it's amazing It's amazing how... Hands, how,
5: how powerful documentary can be too you know just by I mean just really change your perspective completely on things so hopefully it's that type of movie it sounds like it definitely is and the screening is Tuesday, April 9th, this coming Tuesday.
9: Yep, at 7 o'clock at the Lemley, which is in the village. And it's free, so please come out and join us. Definitely.
5: Well, thank you so much, Tamika for coming in. We really appreciate talking to you. It was this a good
7: conversation. Been, yeah, it actually has. I actually learned a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I learned a lot. Well, this has been Tamiko Chacon of Traffic-Free Pomona from Pomona First Baptist Church. Thank you so much for being here. We thank really you. appreciate it.
9: Thank you for having me.
7: Uh, I'm Warren Sefchik. And I'm Zan Sufi. For The Interchange, thank you
5: guys so much for listening.
0: You've been listening to The Interchange here on KSPC Claremont. My name is Anne Kirkpatrick. Music from tonight's show includes Spark Spark by Salam Saeed. Special thanks this week to Ashley Graham and the KSPC Poetry Program, Edie Adams, Jeffrey Grassley, Maddie Williams, Corey Taylor, Warren Southcheck, Zen Sufi, and Tomiko Chacon. If you missed any part of tonight's episode, subscribe to our podcast in iTunes to hear it again, or listen to archived episodes at interchange887.blogspot.com. Do you have any questions, comments, or suggestions for The Interchange? Email us at publicaffairs at kspc.org, or find us on Facebook or Twitter at username interchange887. The Interchange will return with our final episode of the semester on December 15th at 6pm. Stay tuned this evening for The Sound of Pictures with Tom Skelly.